It's your choice. There's all kinds of middle of the road sobriety in AA. You can settle for anything you want. You can have ground beef or you can have a filet mignon. We've got it all here. What do you want? And you can find somebody in AA to tell you that what you're doing or not doing is okay if you want to settle for that. But at the end of the day, how free do you want to be? Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Me, amigos, de la Bill W. That was the voice of Mr. Rich B. once again that you heard at the beginning of this episode and you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment on this here episode number our episode number 209 dos zero nueve from rich b the second part of rich b i know you're gonna enjoy this and oh no first things first this week well i don't get to say contribution but that is okay i guess i just did huh But I will say, I'm a little confused by myself. What I just did a moment ago by introducing this episode is I said, tally-ho, amigos de la Bill W. So I am mixing in, I guess, a couple, three different things there. Number one is just traditional English, right? But I also have a little Spanglish going there, and I know Amigos de la Bill W is Friends de la Bill W, but I I can't remember how to say Bill in Espanol. And then the other piece to that is actually Tally Ho, which comes from my friend Barry across the pond. He wrote in one day, one week, and said Tally Ho, and I've just, it's always stuck in the back of my head. So let me say this if you are <laughs> tuning into this podcast for the first time ever, my sincere apologies. Hopefully, um, it gets a little better from here for you. Uh, it's a long story. You'd have to go back and listen to every episode to understand what I just said there. But nonetheless, we're going on to Rich B Part 2. I, John... <laughs> Hi, John M. 
Just another bozo on the bus will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in and the fact that you come here and listen to my nonsense. Thank you so much. So take a seat, if you will metaphorically speaking, around this virtual table and let's get started. No matter who you are or what your past looks like, you are welcome here. It is an open table for all. I have a couple things that I want to read here on the front end of this particular ep here. Uh, and the first one is from, well, they're both from, they were posted in the super secret Facebook group. And if you are new to us and you're saying, what is that super secret Facebook group he talks about? Go to your Facebook application and, and type in the words, I think this works, sober speak secret group. And the Sober Speak secret group, and we call it super secret once you're in there, but on the outside, it's just the secret group. And anyway, you, you should find us and you can ask for admission to, <laughs> to the secret Facebook group. And uh, we just ask you one question on the front end, uh, and then we will uh, let you on in. What is that question? Hmm, what does he ask? You can go there and find out. It's a secret. <laughs> but anyway, within the super secret Facebook group, we have a gent, a gentleman. His name is Steve R. I call him our daily reflections guy. He reads or he um, posts a passage from the big book. I think this is every day. I don't go in and check this, but I think this is every single day he does this. He reads something or he goes into the big book. He looks up what he wants to see. I don't know if he's meditating it or what or what he's doing with it, but he types in the passage in the Facebook group and then he comments on it. And this is one that he wrote that caught my eye. It says, at the, and by the way, this is from page 77 of the big book. He always gives a reference. And he gives the page number. And he says, at the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order. But this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and to the people about us. I'm going to read that again on page 77. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and ourselves. No, not God and ourselves. God and the people about us. Page 77. And then Steve comments on it every time. He says, let us remain mindful that we are getting better so that we can carry the message so we can continue to still get better and help others. As we grow in effectiveness, we grow in, in happiness. Help one, save two, happy Wednesday. Thank you, Steve R., for posting that in there. And then we had another post in here 
This is just somebody coming in. Uh, this is not to me. This is to everybody that's in the group, which I don't know. I think we're 1800 or something like that now, something like that. But nonetheless, he said, uh, this is Robert D. And Robert Post, he says, hey, everyone, I just wanted to say that I started with AA back around 2016. After a few months, someone convinced me that I wasn't an alcoholic. And then in parentheses, despite daily drinking for five years, but rather a, quote, heavy drinker, unquote. I took that as the go ahead to continue living my life uh, as I always had. Fast forward to the last few months, and I found that every night of drinking, I would, after every night of drinking, I would wake up and say to myself, there is a better way, unquote. And a part of me couldn't quite pinpoint where I had heard that from. I decided to try some meetings again. And while sitting in my work truck, I stumbled across this podcast, Silverspeed. And he said, the first one I listened to was the most recent one with Carol L. She mentioned a phrase that immediately resonated with me. Uh, it immediately resonated with me. And the quote is, Lord, if it be your will, can I not do something that hurts me today? Unquote. It was like a light bulb went off in the back of my head, and I immediately remembered why I wanted to try sobriety instead. It may have only been three days since I've stopped drinking, but that's three days of consecutive sobriety that I have ha- not had since two 2017. And I look forward to watching that number grow. Thank you to everyone in this community for reminding me that there is, in fact, a better way. Robert D., congratulations on your three days of sobriety. And I hope by the time this is released, it's uh, more than that. Okay, everybody. So now on to Rich B. And if you did not catch Rich B's episode last week, you will want to do that. I think we called that one Stupidly Smart Drunk, and if you listen to it, you'll find out why we entitled it that. But this one we're entitling Surf, Rich B, Surf Into Sobriety, and you'll understand why we're calling it that uh, as you listen to the episodes. We discuss Rich's experience with the steps, the definition of big debt, the amends process, uh, Rich's experience with law school, and much, much more. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you, Mr. Rich B. Enjoy, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy, Rich B. Okay, everybody, so we are back again with the Mr. Rich from Ocean City. Well, I, I'll let you go ahead and tell people where you're from. So, Rich, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live in this land of ours. My name's Rich. I'm an alcoholic from Ocean City, Maryland, the uh, surf and AA capital of the world. And uh, <laughs> I was lucky enough to get sober August 30 of 04. August 30 of 04, and if I remember right, that is 17 years, is that correct? That is correct. Fantastic. And okay, so 
let's go ahead and set this up. We have recorded one episode already. Last time we got together, we had such a good time funning around and I interrupted you so many times with giggling. I, I hope that's okay. Uh, but we talked about, by the way, we called that last episode Stupidly Smart Drunk. And if you haven't heard the last episode, folks, I, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. It's absolutely fantastic. We talked about so many things. My favorite was probably the story on the bus with uh, Nikki and Reed. Uh, we talked about the joy of Rich's mom's couch, and then we ended it up with Jeannie. G was it Jeannie or Jenny? Jeannie, right? Janine. Janine, and excuse her duckies, me. And her duckies. Janine and her duckies. And if you don't know what we're talking about, like I said, go back and listen to the last episode. Um, but uh, we kind of left it off. By the way, I want to—I do want to make a comment uh, on where you record, where you were uh, recording this episode. The last time you were in looked like an office or something like that. And then I asked you about the background, and you said you're in the surf shack. Is that right? That is. It's my uh, little shed where we hang all of our surfboards and wetsuits and uh, surf storage. So you really are a surfer. It's just not a, uh, it's not, not like a guy who went out a few times and you take it serious. I can see all that stuff back there. We're committed. We're all in. It's a family, <laughs> it's a family affair at this point. Really? So all, so, so your wife obviously enjoys his, uh, surfing is wife surf, seven-year-old surfs and the four-year-old surfs. Ah, oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. All right. So last time, like I said, we ended up, you were in the hospital and you made a reference to the fact that you weren't as lucky as Bill W because Bill W had the white light experience, but you were having to deal with Jeannie and her duckies looking at you and saying, that is what you don't want to do as an alcoholic. Do I remember that right? Yes, that same woman, Janine and those duckies, came into that <laughs> hospital room just to give those girls a good look. And uh, and she made the comment that I'll never forget, girls, take a good look. This is what happens to an alcoholic that refuses to take our steps. Let's go, girls. And about six of them went walking out of my hospital room. It was a... Uh, a high point in my life, to, to say the <laughs> least. Jeez. <laughs> it was okay. And then after that, you had the thought. Why don't you go ahead and remind listeners what that thought was, and we'll take it from there. When they walked out of that hospital room, I realized that I was the poster child for poor Alcoholics Anonymous, right? I'm, I'm the one that sponsors bring their sponsees to see what not to do. And, and I also realized that I couldn't even kill myself the right way, right? So in that set of feelings, the thought came, and I say that very intentionally because it wasn't my thought. We've all, I don't know if anybody's, uh, I know you've had Matthew and other people in, in steps 10 and 11. Where do thoughts come from, right? It's just something to sit and think about. You know, do we make them or do they come? 
right? And, uh, and I can guarantee you the thought came to me under that set of pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization, the gift of desperation, the thought came, if I live through this, if I get out of here, I'm going to find one of those old guys with that big book in their hand and that goofy AA smile on their face, and I'm going to do everything that's in that book. And I can assure you, if anybody listened to your last episode where you were, we were talking together, they know that thought didn't come from me. That's for sure. So you have that thought and do you immediately rush to an AA meeting? Believe it or not, I do. And the man that I find knew who I was going to find. He was a, he was a man named Jim. He had 40 some years sober. He had a sponsor by the name of Clarence Snyder. He had a sponsor by the name of Dr. Bob Smith. And, um, and he started walking me through this book, uh, you know, just explaining it and stories and bringing this thing alive. And, uh, what I, I just, the first step where he just made it so real and so easy. And, you know, we sat there and he said, well, let me ask you something, Rich, would you agree? I know you think you're really smart, right? With these degrees and stuff, but would, would you agree that powerless means less power? Can we wrap our minds around that? Powerless, less power. I said, yes, Jim. And he said, well, can you think of any decision in your life that you've made time and time and time again? And I said, certainly, that I'm never going to drink again. And he said, well, let me ask you a very simple question. How are you doing managing that decision? And my head dropped because the answer is obvious. Not very good, Jim. I'm sitting in your living room. I just came from the hospital trying to kill myself. I can't stop drinking no matter how severe the consequences, right? And he goes, oh, this is good, right? And uh, he's getting excited. And he's getting excited because that, that's when we seem to have a chance. And he said, that's what's wrong with you, kid. You're just like me. You have less power than is required to manage your most sincere decision to never take another drink. And that is step one. And that is the thing I know about myself more than anything. I'm a guy with less power than is required to manage my own most sincere desire to never drink again. And that means I'm going to need some power. And he said, that's good news because that's what the next 11 steps are about. This isn't a, you know, you're never going to hear me. And I don't mean to be controversial. I'm telling my story. You know, this is, this is my time with John and uh, I'm not one of those guys moping around AA like Eeyore. Right, going on powerless over people, places, and things. I'm just powerless. <laughs> or right, that is not what my big book says. My big book says that we have been given the power. It's not mine, right? But we have been given the power to help where no one else can. And that's what you guys did was got me in touch with this power to work in and through me to be effective, to have a life of purpose, to be able to touch people's hearts, minds, and soul, and to introduce them to this power when maybe no one else can. And that has become the bright spot of my life. And he said, well, kid, if you've come to believe that maybe AA has a solution for you, step two, would you like to make a decision to give the rest of the steps a try? And I said, yes, I would. That's step three. That's as deep as we got. And we said- so so let me ask you real quick, when you went through that first step, like, I, I guess that first time with Jim, right? It was the name of your sponsor. Correct. So if you're going through that with him, 
Is this the first time that it ever really connected between your, you know, your, your mental and your spiritual state? Absolutely. And I, and I will also, in all fairness to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, of all the meetings that I've been to, of all of the peripheral AA activity, right? I've been to, you know, I would go to a 7 a.m. meeting, a noon meeting, an eight o'clock meeting, make your coffee, go to dances, set up literature racks, mop the floors, clean ash, you name it. I would do everything in AA except for AA, right? I'm the, I'm the only guy that I would do all of that and never, ever, ever tried the steps. So this was the first time uh, that I gave AA a legitimate chance in my life. So this is the first time you're giving, this is the first time I guess you're open-minded uh, in terms of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. In fact, I was at a meeting today, uh, we, we were talking about this exact same thing, being willing. Uh, letting it in, uh, completely giving yourselves to the simple program. So, okay, so you're going through that. You you have a realization on the first step. You also have a realization on the second step. So take me from there. Go forward. You bet. And I, and I want to say, just in case anybody's new listening, we did steps one, two, and three at his dining room table in maybe 10 minutes. I mean, this this was a quick conversation. And uh you know, and he, we love inventing definitions in AA, right? We, we make them up as if we invented them or something. And, and we don't even care if they're correct. Uh, we, we've never let a dictionary stand in the way of our definition making in AA. Uh, we, we always say the definition of insanity is, is doing the same thing again, expecting different results. Uh, that's not in any dictionary that I've found. Uh, but my favorite definition is he pointed out to me, he said, well, would you agree that it's a little bit insane to belong to a 12-step fellowship and to come to hundreds of meetings, right, and not take the 12 steps? Right? <laughs> and, I mean, that's pretty nuts. I mean, who belongs to a 12-step fellowship and doesn't take the steps? Me, right? Like, I'm that guy and, uh, until it got, you know, to that point. And, he, and what I did in step three, and that, that's where we left off. I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the AA process because that's the best I could do at that point. I wasn't any heady spiritual intellect. I didn't know anything about God. He didn't ask me to make any devotion. He said, are you willing to go through with the AA process? And we'll talk about your concept of God when we get to step 11. Because whatever it is that you think about God at step three is clearly messed up or we wouldn't be sitting here, right? <laughs> so right. he didn't waste much time messing around with that. He just really wanted to know, was I all in on four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, right? Or, or was I going to be, you know, uh, was I going to fade him halfway through? And I said I was all in and we wrote out that inventory and I shared that stuff. And I don't want to spend too much time on that because I could summarize it quickly, which is the fact that uh, I had pages of people that bothered me, upset me, annoyed me, that I was resentful at. I guess I'll say this if anyone's new. He said, just write down, you know, who you're resentful at and why you're resentful at them. And I said, well, Jim, I'm not resentful at anybody. And he said, okay, um, I can understand that. Why don't you just write down who you hate and why you hate them? And I said, oh, why didn't you say so? And I filled up three pages, right? <laughs> so sometimes it's just a matter of semantics. And I think I may have suffered from a poor vocabulary, right? I didn't really know what he was asking me to do. 
Um, but there was plenty of people I hated and, and I wrote down why and all that. And at the end of that and institutions, and I had a thing with banks that, uh, I mean, I just thought it was insane that when I bounced a check or stole money from an ATM, they, they give you a surcharge, right? For bouncing a check of $25. It's a penalty fee for already being broke. Right. Like who does that to somebody? I'll tell you who bank of America, they were at the top of my list. Right. And bank of America screwing the little guy, man, $25 at a time trying to just gouge me. If I had any money, I wouldn't be bouncing these checks. You're making a bad situation worse. Right. And that's the kind of nut stuff that I'm writing down on my first inventory when it comes to some of these institutions. And it was wonderful. I mean, what a, what a process. And what I got out of that, I could summarize it in dozens and dozens of names and institutions. And so there was one person that had something to do with each and every one of them. And it was me, the guy that made the list in his own handwriting. And it's hard to duck your own handwriting. I think that's why they say the magic of AA happens when pen meets paper, right? Because we can't get around that. And it was clear to me that I was the one common denominator in every single screwed up relationship in my life. And that sent me into step six and seven, because I have never been so willing as I was in that moment. I think if I would have waited a week or a month, it would have left me. But in that moment, I was ready to ask whatever would take it, right? Whatever was out there in this giant universe. And, uh, and I'm going to probably start using the word God for the rest of our time together. And when I say that word, I hope I don't offend any listeners. When I say that word God, it's in the interest of time because we've got about 30 minutes left and I've got an awful lot of miracles to tell you about. And when I was new, they did call on me in one of those third step meetings. And that's a mistake. You don't ever call on a newcomer at a third step meeting because I thought what they wanted to hear. I thought the topic was, hey, Rich, tell us what you think about God. Right. And and I told them what I thought about God when they called on me. And I start going and I, I don't like the word God. I don't like praying. I'm not getting on my knees for anybody. The word itself just bothers me. I don't like churches. I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm laying it down. I said, but I will concede this. I'm a surfer. And what a wave is, is energy that travels thousands of miles across the ocean at precisely the right angle. And a wave breaks when it hits half the depth of the size of the wave precisely. So an eight foot wave will break when it hits four feet of sand or coral reef. And it's sort of like a train wreck. When the bottom of that energy hits that sandbar or reef, it stops and the top continues. And that's what makes a wave break. But that alone, the reef or the sandbar has to be shaped at the right angle to allow the wave to break down it from left to right or right to left, or there would be nowhere for the surfer to surf. But that alone isn't good enough. The tide has to be just right to create the proper depth for the wave to hit that depth to make it break. And then as we discussed earlier, there's one other factor for a good morning of surfing. The wind has to be coming from the land to the sea, which holds that wave open and hollow so the surfer could get inside and get those tube rides. And I'm willing to concede that I couldn't make all of that happen at the same time myself for a good morning surfing. And the room was just kind of quiet. And one of the old timers grabbed me and took me outside of the meeting afterwards and said, hey, kid, you got a minute? 
that was great what you said in there about the wind and the waves and traveling thousands of miles and energy and that you're a surfer and you don't like God. And, you know, but you just used up about 30 minutes of our meeting and our meetings are only an hour and there's other people that would like to share. And in AA, we have a word for all of that. We just call it God. It's three letters. It's really fast to say. And whenever you say God, we'll know that you're talking about the thing that makes the waves and the wind. And I was like, okay. So for the last 17 years, I've just been saying God, and it seems to save everybody a lot of time. And my home group is very grateful for that. When I say God, I'm talking about whatever pops into your listeners' minds, and I hope it brings us together and doesn't separate us. That sounds great. Let me do a little break here. We will be continuing our conversation with Rich in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website. You can use if and only if the spirit moves use. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Rich. All right, so Rich, you've done your soliloquy up at the front of the group regarding uh, God. And uh, this is like, I think we were kind of talking about six and seven there, right? And when I came out of those steps, John, with 48 years sober, this man told me that he had spent his entire career in the military and that he'd never worked in the private sector and he didn't have a whole lot of experience in some of the areas where I had amends. And he had the humility to hand me over to a friend of his, a man named Roger, that's been my sponsor ever since. And he said, I think this man can help you better than I can with this part of our journey. Um, And I look back at that. I mean, what an example. I mean, how many people with 48 years sober have the humility to say, hey, now I'm going to introduce you to this person that can help you better than I can. And he did that for me. And then Roger looked at me with steps eight and nine. And he said, hey, kid, this is where the rubber meets the road. How free do you want to be? It's your choice. There's all kinds of middle of the road sobriety in AA. You could settle for anything you want. You can have ground beef or you can have a filet mignon. We've got it all here. What do you want? Right. <laughs> and you could find somebody in AA to tell you that what you're doing or not doing is okay if you want to settle for that. But at the end of the day, how free do you want to be? And I had this little job because I told you I'd just come out of the federal penitentiary. I'd come out of the hospital. I have 36 convictions on my record. I am unemployable. I applied at the uh, Home Depot to be a nighttime janitor. Um, You know, those blue hockey pucks and men's urinals that, you know, everybody pees on. I am not, they would not hire me to change those with my hands at nighttime, right? Like that is how, I mean, you talk about being 29 years old and feeling like life is over when they tell you, you are not quite, we are not hiring you to change hockey pucks and urinals, right? McDonald's wouldn't hire me to drop the French fries. Nobody would hire me, but a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous that owned this 
he hand carved wooden picture frames and then he gilded them, which is kind of a lost art of putting gold leaf on top of hand carved wooden picture frames. And my job was just to sweep the floor, to keep the wood up, the sawdust as he would carve up off the floor. And I made $6 and 25 cents an hour. And all day long, he would carve and play for me these AA tapes of uh, all of the old timers telling their stories. And I got to hear my grand sponsor, Clarence talk and, you know, and, Ed Clancy and Bob B and my personal favorite, uh, I could say his name now that he's left us, Cliff Roach, the surfer from Oceanside, California, <laughs> with the resentment like I had, right? I mean, boy, <laughs> could he carry a resentment. And, uh, and I would just sweep and listen and sweep and listen and sweep and listen. And then I got paid on Fridays, 40 hours at $6.25 an hour. And the damnedest thing happened, a little became a lot. Right. For somehow I always had a dollar for your basket. And my first amend, my sponsor said, you need to take that mother of yours out to dinner once a week if she'll go with you. Because by the time I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, my mother had not been able to look me in the eye for over a decade. My little sister, my only sibling, hadn't spoken a single word to me in six and a half years. I'd been kicked out of a college with a 4.0 GPA average. I owed the IRS $47,000, which was a lot of money to a guy making six bucks an hour. Right. I always hesitate to say that because there's some listener going 47,000. I'd have just written them a check. Right. And then there's another newcomer going 47,000. I better not do these steps. I could never pay that back. Right? <laughs> and what I want to say, you want to know the definition of a big debt? The definition of a big debt is that it's yours. Right. <laughs> when it's your debt, you think it's a lot because it's yours and, and it's all relative. So anyways, on $6.25 an hour, when I would focus on the spiritual, which I was doing, man, I was coming to the meetings. I was in those steps. I was meeting with my sponsor and somehow a little became a lot. On $6.25 an hour, I had enough money to put a dollar in your baskets and to take my mom out to dinner. And I'm dating my mom and dating my mom and dating my mom at 29, you know, going on to 30 years old. And I'm starting to like it, right? And, uh, and I'm something inside <laughs> of me is starting to change. Uh, I'm starting to like meetings I didn't used to like. Anybody had that, right? Where all of a sudden you're going to the meetings, you do these big book studies and step studies, and those people you thought were crazy are starting to become <laughs> intriguing, right? And uh, the guy you would never talk to all of a sudden is becoming kind of cool. You know what those are signs of? Those are signs of awakening. We're becoming inwardly rearranged. And often the members of our group see it in us before we do. And we're starting to ask crazy questions like, hey, could you tell me about meditation? Right. Who asked that? Right. right? <laughs> Teach me about praying. Whoa. Right? I mean, things are changing. And I'm dating my mom and I'm dating my mom and I'm dating my mom. And one night we were at dinners and we were at Carabas restaurant. I'll never forget it. Carabas is a spaghetti joint. I don't know if you guys have them where everybody's listening, but we're in there and my mom is twirling spaghetti on a spoon. That's how she eats it. I don't know why, but she spins it around and then eats it. And her head came up from that plate of food for the first time in over a decade. And she was looking at me eyeball to eyeball as we were eating dinner and we were talking and she said, I'm proud of you. And then my mom started asking me to come to her house as she was getting into her early seventies, if I could help her carry the trash out. 
And if I could change a light bulb in her ceiling because she wasn't comfortable standing on a chair anymore. And these may not sound like big deals to anybody, but that woman had a restraining order. I, mean, I wasn't allowed near her or that house for a long time. We didn't. I mean, she was just so she always loved me. I was just such a letdown and I wasn't a guy you could turn to. I wasn't a guy you could rely on. Uh, they would call me, the term for me was a loose cannon, right? You just never knew what you were going to get. Uh, you didn't know if and when I was going to show up and I was becoming dependable in Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, man, it, it was, I guess all I want to say about that before I go on is my whole life, if you listen to that first part of this podcast, uh, I wanted to be a tough guy. I wanted to be a big shot. I wanted to be a somebody. I wanted to be a man. You were going to respect me as a man. And what I learned through that amends process with my mother is that first you need to learn how to become a son before you can ever become a man. And that was that was my big gift of that with my mother. And uh, if she was here to talk tonight, she would tell you uh, she's still alive. She's in her 80s. She just got back from Hawaii yesterday where she's been for two weeks. Uh, but she would tell you that her son, uh, I got married at nine years sober, uh, gave her two granddaughters, Isabella and Sophia. Um, Sophia's middle name is Hurley, which is my mother's maiden name. She loves that. Uh, but most of all, my wife and I chose to build a house on the beach about a mile and a half from my mother. Uh, and we built an in-law suite. So my mom's in and out of my house two, three times a day, uh, you know, doing goofy grandmom stuff, bringing ice cream while I'm trying to get my kids to eat their vegetables at dinner <laughs> and, uh, with a big smile on her face, getting her revenge. And she's having the time of her life. And she sits on the beach in her throne. We call it her throne. It's a Tommy Bahama beach chair. And she sits in that beach chair. She knows that her son is safe and sober and in good stead with you guys. And she gets to watch her grandchildren grow up on the beach and learn to surf and play at her feet. And then I had a set of Baltimore Ravens season football tickets when I got to AA. And my sponsor said, send those to your sister. And I said, why would I send these to my sister? She hasn't talked to me in six and a half years. These are expensive. And he said, I didn't ask you about any of that. I told you to send them. And I sent them and nothing happened. And he said, send the next set of tickets. And I said, you're not listening to me, man. These <laughs> things are expensive. And she did. And I sent the next set of tickets and the phone rang. And on the other end of that phone was a little girl's voice I hadn't heard in six and a half years going, Richie, Richie, did you see that? The Ravens just caught the ball. They tied it up. They're in the end zone. It's a tie game. And I'm here to tell you there is nothing I could care less about. I have no idea who the Ravens were playing. But I was talking to my little sister for the first time in six and a half years. And mm -hmm. I kept sending those tickets and she kept calling. And we started developing a little friendship around football. She lives about three hours and 15 minutes away from me. And on the weekends, I'd work all week for $6.25. I'd worked out a payment program with the IRS uh, for that 47000 I turned myself in. I thought I was going to jail. Uh, but my sponsor said, no, the IRS doesn't lock people up. They want their money. They don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg. <laughs> and, uh, and I have no idea. They, they put me on a payment plan of $20 a week. You know, we, we drove four hours to the Philadelphia IRS office. We sat down with an agent. I told him the truth. I've been an alcoholic. I haven't filed taxes in decades. They did some math and they said that, you know, you owe us 47,000 and we're going to put you on a payment program of 20 weeks, $20 a week. Um, we're, we're glad you're staying sober. 
And, uh, and six years later, I put the last check to the IRS in the mail. My sponsor, he's got a pacemaker and a defibrillator. He's in his 80s, Roger. And when I put that last check in the mailbox at Ocean City, he met me there that day. He's about five foot ten. And we got there and he said, I mean, it's in the lobby of the post office. There's like a hundred people milling about. He said, put it in, put it in. And I put it in the mailbox and he said, say it out loud. And I said, my amends to the IRS is complete. And that little old man jumped up like Jordan and gave me a high five over that mailbox. And couple months later, I get an envelope from the IRS and it's got a big check in it. And I drove over to Roger's house and I'm crying. I'm like, Roger, I've screwed something up again. I'm in trouble. Look at this thing. There's a check here. And he looked at it and he said, this is a tax refund check, you idiot. Normal people get these every year. for, for the last nine or 10 years, I pay my taxes. They give me a little bit back. We, we've got this unwritten agreement. Like I don't have to agree with what the IRS is doing. I just got to pay them and they give me a little money. back. But I digress, you know, I'm paying the IRS that 20 bucks. I'm making $6 and 25 cents an hour in my little AA job. I'm dating my mother. I'm sleeping through the night, man. I'm feeling like a million bucks. And, uh, my little sister and I are becoming the closest of friends. I start driving three hours and 15 minutes after I work all week. I get my little paycheck. I take my mom to dinner. I drive three hours and 15. She bought her first home and she needed help fixing it up. And I would spend the weekend painting the walls in my sister's new house, helping her put together, snap together, hardwood floor, helping her fix it up, being a big brother. And, uh, and year with it, we grew into the best of friends. And uh, as the years went by, this guy called me. His name was Justin. I knew who he was. And he said, hey, Rich, I know your father's no longer with you, but you've become the number one man in your little sister's life. She looks to you for everything. And I'm calling to ask permission if I could have her hand in marriage. (laughs) You're telling me there isn't anybody less qualified than the drunk you're talking to, John. She asked the next day if I'd walk her down the aisle and I got to do that sober and in my right mind and uh, with my whole family there and give that little girl away that I was no kind of big brother to. And uh, but I have been I have been ever since, you know, AA taught me how to be a big brother. And she now has. So now I want you to get this on the weekends when you live at the beach, everybody wants to come visit. Right. And uh at least twice a month, my mom sits in that throne on the beach, that Tommy Bahama beach chair, and she gets to watch her son and his wife and his two little girls and her daughter get along with their son and her husband and my two nephews, her sons, they're eight and six, Sadler and Brixton. Now she's got four grandkids playing in the sand, building sand castles, learning to surf. And one of the reasons Alcoholics Anonymous is growing by leaps and bounds, this is in the forward to the second edition. It says it. AA is growing by leaps and bounds primarily because of the large number of recoveries and families reunited. And that's what you guys have done for me. I was coming up. This ninth step stuff, man, was paying dividends in my life internally. The relationships were repairing, but mostly I could look in the mirror. My head came up. My chest came out. That feeling of wanting to be a man, it turns out that it's earned, not given. And self-esteem is earned by taking esteemable actions, right? And if I was making these amends when I had enough money or when it became convenient, you'd be talking to somebody else tonight because it was never convenient and I never had enough money. 
but it was the time and the steps to do them as my sponsor led me through them. He likes to say, and I now tell my guys, if Alcoholics Anonymous is convenient for you, you're doing it wrong. This is a program of divine inconvenience, of learning to serve others on their time, not ours. And in giving of myself, I become whole. The last thing that I want to tell you about is as I'm going through these steps, I had an old warrant out in California from when I was in college. I got pulled over for a DUI. I had some cocaine in my pocket and I went to court and I got a five-year sentence and the judge deferred the sentence. He put me on a probation that they call the PC-1000 First Time Felony Offenders Program. And uh, if I went to 10 AA meetings and did some urine tests and did certain things, I wouldn't have the conviction on my record and I wouldn't serve the five years in prison. Uh, but, you know, 10 meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, what an order. I can't go through with it, right? <laughs> Versus five years in prison, right? I screwed it up. I couldn't, my alcoholism would not let me pull that off. And when I violate probation, I run away. So I have about two years sober. My sponsor says, you've been through all of your amends. This is your last one. You are the state of California, five years in prison. You got to go turn yourself in and serve that five years. This is a great time to do that. Sponsors see things very different. I didn't think it was a good time to go serve five years. Yeah. Matter of fact, I had my big book. I showed him right in there. I said, look, we don't do these acts of heroics, right? It's I'd be of no use to anyone. I'm, pay, I'm paying the IRS. My little sister and I are close friends. My mother needs me to change the light bulbs, right? I'm taking out her trash. You know, I've got this career going. And he said, you know, I, at that point, I even had a little AA girlfriend. It's not the woman I married. You know, it's the one that we pick when we got about 18 months sober. <laughs> right. The one we think is God's will for us. And our sponsor <laughs> just shakes their heads. Right. But, and then here's the beauty of a sponsor. They see things so differently. He said, Rich, let me help you make the right decision. Why don't you talk to your mother and see what she would have you do? And you know what my mother wanted me to do. She wanted me to do the same thing she wanted me to do her whole life, to do the right thing, to turn myself in, to face the music, right? To act as a man of integrity. It's all my mother ever wanted was for me to do the right thing. And my sister sure understood. And he said, this woman you're dating that you think is God's will for you, she's got 16 years sober. She was doing so much better before she met you. And this house you think you live in, you don't live in a house, you live in a trailer and you don't own it, you rent it. And this career you think you have, you sweep floors in a picture shop. Like it, the, the, they'll be fine without you. you, you and, uh, they really just have a way of busting your bubble, right? He's like, this is a good time to do that time. So uh, he and some members of my home group, they confiscated some of my paychecks and got me a one-way ticket to San Diego. And I flew out there against my will. Um, and I will just put this in. Uh, folks, I have heard many people say that faith and fear cannot exist in the same place at the same time. I beg to differ based on my experience. I was scared to death and I had the faith that somehow we were going to get through this. And there were several men that took my name, the address of that penitentiary and promised to come visit me from Maryland, 3000 miles away to bring me an AA meeting over the five years that we all thought I was going to be serving. And I went in front of that judge with that thought in my heart that these guys believe in me enough to spend their time and money to come see me and bring me a meeting. I'm going to be fine. 
And by that point, I was thinking of what I could bring to the prison. They said, you're going to get some meetings started in there. You got a good program. Like I was actually feeling pretty good about it. And I stood in front of that judge with sweat circles and scared to death. And what I didn't know was that approximately 30 some members of Alcoholics Anonymous wrote that judge letters telling him what my life looked like, who I was sponsoring, the meetings I was going to, pastors were writing him about church floors. I was mopping um, just everything you can imagine. They just shared about my life. And the judge looked at me and said, you just flew 3000 miles on your own nickel to serve five years a month. Am I getting this correct? And I said, yes, you are, your honor. I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I violated your probation. And every night that I go to sleep, I know I have this open warrant. And I want to be a free man, and I don't ever want to have to take another drink. And I know that I have to get this sentence started if I ever want to get it over. And I remembered my sponsor's words. How free do you want to be? Because the head you go to bed with is your own. I knew that was sitting out there. I wasn't in jail, but I was serving that sentence every single day of my first two years sober. And that judge, he just couldn't even wrap his mind around what was going on. And he started <laughs> reading your letters. He's going through UAA, right? And he's just shaking his head. He goes, Mr. B, <laughs> he said, I've, I've never seen anything like this. These people tell me you've been over a thousand meetings of AA. I ordered you to go to 10 as a part of my probation and you couldn't pull it off, but you have exceeded the greatly the terms of this probation. And it looks like your life is you're a different person. I don't know what's going on back there in Maryland and AA, but as far as I'm concerned, this probation <laughs> is closed and you need to go back to Maryland and do whatever those people in AA tell you to do. <laughs> and I have walked into a courtroom 36 times. I've gone to jail 36 times. I have never walked out of a courtroom. And I, when I tell you my God got bigger that day, I am not kidding. And I stepped in that hallway and I said, Raj, Raj, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. The guys, we could still have the big book study in my living room on Wednesdays. We don't have to move. I'm coming. And he said, wait a second. Wait a second. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. You can't get a plane ticket home until tomorrow. Why don't you go over to that University of San Diego? You know those Jesuits that you embarrassed? It was all in the newspaper. Jesuit student, 27 kilos of cocaine. You made them look awful. While you're there, why don't you go make your amends to her? And I'm thinking, can you give me a minute to celebrate? Like, I almost went to prison for five years. But sponsors are like that, right? That, that, that ninth step, it's like a pep talk in there. Remember, it says action and more action. Remember, we agreed to go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And I got to be honest, John, it seemed like small potatoes going over to that university to talk to a dean that kicked me out rather than doing five years in the big house, right? So I go over there. And of course, as fate would have it, it's the same Dean that kicked me out nine years before. Oh, I, no. I said, Dean, I don't know if you remember me. My name is Rich B. And uh, I used to go to school here and I, I got in some trouble and went to the Fed. She just shook her head as she said, Rich, we remember exactly who you are. We've only had one student in the history of this university <laughs> go to the federal penitentiary. We know precisely who you are. And, and I said, Dean. I know what I did. When I went here, I didn't know what Jesuits were, and now I do. I know that Jesuits stand for building men and women of integrity. They stand for education. They stand for doing the right thing. I didn't stand for any of that when I went here. 
and I was an alcoholic and worse yet, I didn't know it, but now I do. And I've found another way of living and, uh, and I have to do my best to clean up the wreckage of my past. We call it the ninth step. And I don't know how to fix this, but I'm willing to do whatever you tell me. And she said, if that's true, you're going to come with me. And she walked me to a building next door, put a big stack of paper down in front of me. And she said, this is an application to our law school. What you're going to do is fill this out. You're going to go to our law school for three years and you're going to graduate to go on to make us proud. You've always been a good rememberer, Rich. You're going to do very well in law school. And I stepped outside and I called Roger, my sponsor. And I said, Roger, the dean's lost her mind. She wants me to go to law school. Even if I somehow make it through law school, they're never going to let me take the bar exam. And even if I pass the bar exam, they're never going to let me through the ethics section. They don't even let me change hockey pucks in the urinals of the Home Depot. And And he said, Said, shut up. Shut up. Did you just tell that dean you'd do whatever she said to make it right? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> he said, then fill out the papers. And I filled them out. And three years later, I graduated second from the top of my class at the University of San Diego's law school. And I came out of that law school and my phone rang. And because of clearing up everything else, I'll tell you this, this is my other ninth step test. If you need to look at caller ID before you answer the phone, <laughs> you're not finished. You're not finished. Go talk to your sponsor right now. That that means you're scared of somebody or something. If you got to like, look at that thing. But by this point in my sobriety, I can answer. It didn't matter. And thank God, because a weird number was coming in and I answered it. And the guy introduced himself. He said he was the state's attorney for the state's state of Maryland. I know what state's attorneys are. They're the guys that locked me up. I don't like state's attorneys. And he said, hold on. I'm patching through the governor's office of crime control and prevention. We just received the large federal grant and I want to hire my own assistant state's attorney to head up our narcotics prosecution unit. I've been given your name that you know something about the importation of narcotics into our country. (laughs) We think you'd be great at this job. And my knees about buckled. But you know what I remembered? I remembered those old guys with that book in their hand. And they looked at me right in my eye in a way that I knew they were absolutely telling the truth. And they said, kid, one day your sordid past will become your greatest asset. And for the next 10 years of my life and of my sobriety, it was my privilege to serve, and I repeat, serve the state of Maryland as the senior state's attorney in charge of narcotics prosecution. And I get to tell you that uh, I stole some stuff from the state of California. I stole that PC-1000 first-time felony offenders program that I benefited from, and I passed it on to every county in the state of Maryland. We now have a drug court in every county in the state of Maryland that provides alternative sentencing for alcoholics and drug addicts so they don't have to sit in a cell. Uh, I then went on, I got to author a law. Um, It's a federal law. It's in your state. It's in every state. It's called the Good Samaritan Law. And that's the one that if somebody is overdosing and you dial 911, no matter what's on the coffee table, we don't need to explain that to your listeners, Right. No matter what's on that coffee table, when the paramedics and the police come through the door, you cannot be arrested because you're saving somebody's life that's dying. Right. And I had to go testify about what I wrote, the law for the Senate and the House. And you get to bring one guest when you go testify the Senate and the House. And I'm standing there right (laughs) in the Senate on a big marble floor with the great seal of our country, that eagle. And you know who my one guest is. Right. It's my mom. And she gets to see her son putting something back into the stream of life, putting something back into this world. And as you all know, the story, uh, it passed. And each year I get a report of the number of thousands of lives that were saved because God used an idiot like me 
to write something down on a piece of paper and to go stand in front of some people and, and talk, which we all like doing as alcoholics. And, uh, and thank God he used me on the right day to, to get that thing through. After 10 years, uh, I took an early retirement. My wife and I had some dreams. We've had two little girls I was telling you about, and I wanted some free time. Plus, I, I had a dream. There's a Langston Hughes poem called A Dream Deferred, and there's a chorus in that poem that says, does it fester, does it breed the boogie-woogie rumble of a dream deferred, right? And what that means is when Bill Wilson did his fifth step with Father Ed Dowling, he told him all the silly stuff, right? I stole this, I did this, I slept with her, I cheated on my wife, I, I touched myself when I was 12, whatever he said to Father Ed Dowling that we're all so scared to say, right? And you know what Father Ed Dowling says when he looks at him? He goes, you know, Bill, it's not so much the things that men and women have done that keeps them drunk. It's the things they've left undone. And boy, mm -hmm. did that hit. That was a direct hit for me, right? Just think of us drunk, the things we've left undone. And uh, I always wanted to start and run my own law firm. And three and a half years ago, after I retired from the state's attorney's office, took that early retirement, uh, I started RJB Law. And all I do is defend drunks. I do approximately 325 drunk driving cases a year, which means 325 times a year. I sit across my desk from somebody just like me. And they get to say something to me like, this is my third DUI, blah, 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 blah. And I go, well, John... Um, do you think you just have bad luck or maybe just maybe you've got a problem with drinking? Right. And and we get to have some very interesting conversations. And um, and I like to think of it as the first spiritual law firm. And what that means is when I take their retainer, uh, I tell them that if they happen to get sober and get one of those one year chips and bring it to me, they get half their retainer back. And I've gotten to do that seven times in, in three and a half years now. Um, and I know what some of your listeners are thinking. If you didn't listen to episode one, Ocean City, Maryland is an island. It's seven miles long by one mile wide. There is no way you could go to AA for a year in Ocean City, Maryland and get your one-year chip without me seeing you. So there's no way they could bullshit me, right? I know the ones that really got sober. And it is the bright spot of my life when I get to help them in court, but help them far more, you know, spiritually to meet the God that you guys have introduced me to through these wonderful 12 steps, this amazing fellowship and what a cast of characters we have in it, as you know, by inviting me. So <laughs> I think I'm out of time. And in case you can't tell, I love this thing, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I love you for having me, John. Thank you. You're welcome. So just, you know, to kind of wrap it up here, just Think about this for a second. You know, you're you're talking to people in all four corners of the world, and there's people that are on the fringes, so to speak. You know, they're looking at AA, they're thinking it may work for me, it may not work for me. Kind of share from your experience, strength, and hope, and say, in terms of kind of some parting words, in terms of you know what you would say about your experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. That the spiritual does not make sense. The reason it doesn't make sense is because it is spiritual. You are not going to think your way through it. It is not linear and it doesn't look like it should work. So don't try to find a path that looks like it should work. Just try ours. 
right? Find someone that has done it. And the greatest decision I ever made was to try those stupid steps. And the only reason I tried them is because I ran out of every other thing I could think of. So I guess that's my wish for anyone new is that you're out of ideas. You can't think of one more way that you're going to pull this thing off and you go, okay, all right, I'll try your stupid steps. That surfer idiot from Ocean City, Maryland said they work for him. I'll give it a whirl. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Rich. I mean, I, I just, uh, I never know exactly what's going to happen when I go into these uh, recordings. And I'm so glad that Matthew introduced us. This has just been an absolutely uh, great couple of episodes. And I know the listeners are going to love it as well. So I will end it with page 164 from the big book. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past, much like Rich was talking about. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Rich, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. Rich, thank you so much for having me, I, or excuse me, not having me, for coming on today. I sure do appreciate it. It's been a blast. You bet, buddy. It sure has. Oh, 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 I so much loved spending time with Mr. Rich B, and I hope you enjoyed listening to that. If you did, please pause your device and share that episode or the entire podcast with, a, uh, with another friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Once again, Mr. Richby, you are the man. I so much appreciate the time that you took out of your schedule to spend with me and to share your story with the Sober Speak listeners. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback. The first one here is from Mr. Jim. Jim writes in, and the title of this is, John, You're in My Prayers. Okay, so let me explain. A couple of weeks ago, I came on the airwaves during the intro to one of the episodes. I can't even remember which one it was, and I, and I talked about uh, struggling, uh, just having a really not great week and struggling with depression and kind of going up and down and uh, not feeling connected. And so, so many, and I'm not going to read all of them that I got, uh, you know, um, so many people wrote in and just said, Hey, John, you know, you're in my prayers, you know, we're thinking about you and, and, and I really appreciate you guys. And just so you know, I, I, I'm not putting that out there to, even though I appreciate the people that write me, I'm not, I'm not putting that out there to get a, a, a kind of response and just, you know, wanting to know people are thinking of me. I put that out there because I just want people to know, you know, I've been doing this a long time and I talk to a lot of people with long-term sobriety. And just because you've been in this a while does not mean you are immune from the ups and downs of, of life. 
uh, and, uh, and, and, and depressions and anger and selfishness and fear and all those things, right? Uh, we all go through it. And, and I feel like it's my duty. Uh, duty maybe is not the word, but I feel like it, uh, it's the right thing to do uh, by putting that out there uh, when uh, I am not doing well and just letting you guys know. Um, so anyway, that's why I was out there, why I said those things. Anyway, um, Jim says, good morning, John. I heard the pain in your voice this week as you shared that you have been overwhelmed by life and are suffering from emotional stress and depression. Those days are tough and you neither earned it or you deserve it. There have been different steps you could have taken, or maybe there was nothing you could have done. And that a loss of control over the event and the outcome. Well, my friend, that's where the other 90% take a stiff drink and mull it over. (laughs) He's got a big smiley face. (laughs) I hear you, Jim. And he says, but that path for we Uh, But that is not the path for we who are chosen by DNA or by predisposition or circumstance to be an alcoholic. So, John, cling to the serenity prayer this week. Say it like a mantra. Say it one word at a time, drinking and savoring the power of each word. God, hyphen, my higher power, restorer of my sobriety and sanity. Grant hyphen, a gift draped on me. I neither earned it or deserve it. Me, just another bozo on the bus. No one special. Everybody has days like this. Serenity, hyphen, peace in my heart, quietness in my head, gentleness in my soul. You get the idea, my friend. Walk through the whole prayer this way. If you want, you can call me and we will do it together or ask another person to share that experience with you. Powerful. By the way, John, I've decided that you may not be, after all, just another bozo on the bus. (laughs) I don't know about that, Jim. I think I am. And then he says, lizards, question mark? You have pet liver lizards? (laughs) And then he puts WTF, (laughs) question marks, question mark. And that Pigeon Spanish you've been inflicting on us lately. (laughs) He's got a bunch of smiley faces. He says, God grant you serenity, courage, wisdom, and peace. This week, my friend, Jim S., he is in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, and I won't read his phone number, but Jim, thank you so much for writing it in. I appreciate you so, so much. Anthony writes in, and the subject line is uh, episode 207, Norm A. By the way, if you have not listened to episode 207 with Norm A, oh, do yourself a favor and go back there and listen to that one. Norm A is just incredible. What a message he has to carry. But anyway, Anthony says, Dear John, I was recently lucky enough to get my dad's, my dad 
in Glasgow, UK for nine days together with my 12-year-old daughter. We had a great time together despite being housebound with several ailments. He's 86. During my time there, I got to go to two local meetings. Always a deep experience in Glasgow. And I think I wrote you this back, Anthony, but you know, I always wanted to go to Glasgow. My mom... Oh, God. God bless my mom. She was born and raised there. I understand it's a little bit of a, a, a tough crowd, and especially was when she was younger. But uh, your your uh, letter just kind of, or your email, I should say, just kind of gave me chills. But anyway, he said, on the way back, we had eight hours to kill at Frankfurt Airport. While hanging, I checked out episode number 207 with Norm A. Initially, I thought, oh, here we go, some old timer, et cetera, et cetera. But my word, what a ride. His story is one thing, however, on listening and taking part in meetings now. It is the recovery and overpowering proof of the promises combined with the joy and fervor that I observe, which is truly amazing. I found myself laughing out loud, which my daughter found greatly amusing. (laughs) Well, if your daughter's listening right now, (laughs) tell her we said hello. Um, And at one point, almost in tears while he was narrating his story, my how, my, how he turned things around. But his message, like all other AAers, is so profound. This program is the difference between life and death. This program is the difference between happiness and misery. Thank you so much for posting this on your podcast. Your service keeps me and so many of us going. The message is of recovery. It enriches our lives and gives us courage to continue one day at a time in big um, capital letters. And then he says, thanks, John, Tony D. Oh, I said Anthony on the front end. I'm sorry, it's Tony, Tony D. And then he says, Vin, Vinlig Hilson, and then uh, slash best regards. So I'm assuming that's Vinlig Hilson, and I believe he's in Norway. Am I right about that? Oh, I, I can't remember. I'm sorry, I get people confused so much. But Vinlig Hilson, back at you, Mr. Tony D, and I uh, appreciate you writing in. By the way, there was a uh, running back for the uh, Dallas Cowboys. His name was Tony Dorsett. They called him Tony D, but I I know you're not the same guy, but for whatever reason, I'm just kind of thinking about that as I'm reading this. Dan writes in and he says, hi, John, I live in San Jose, California. And I say to you, Dan, do you know the way to San Jose? I bet you've heard that a million times. And he says, I have been sober for eight years and I wouldn't have it any other way. I stumbled upon your podcast while doing a Google search on a topic we went over in a recent meeting. The topic was, oh, the grouch and the brainstorm. And yes, so that's Jack Z, my friend Jack Z. And uh, so I'm so glad you got to hear Jack Z, Dan. He says, I wish... Oh, I was so happy to have found your podcast, and I wish I would have found it much earlier. Thus far, I've listened to Gary Kay and Jack Z, the Grouch and the Brainstorm, and John W. My favorite so far has been Gary Kay, but all of the speakers have been 
uh, just a delight to listen to. I'm looking forward to, to listening to the rest of your speakers. Please keep up the great work with gratitude, Dan G. Oh, God bless you, Dan G. I appreciate it. I'm going to reach out to Jack uh, Z and let him know that as well. Kate uh, writes in, and Kate says... John, I heard your info. Oh, here's another one. Like I said, I'm not reading all of these, but okay, it says, I heard your info and that you were having a hard time. I just want you to know that I'm saying a prayer for you. <laughs> you guys are way too good to me. She says, you provide so much love and support and so many people. I just want you to know you are loved and appreciated. Kate B. Well, Kate B., God bless you. Thank you for letting me be part of your journey, and I sure do appreciate you, and uh, thank you for your kind words. Jeff writes in. He says, uh, John, I hope you're well. I just listened to Norm A. Wow, it was so good and so raw. It was about life and the blessings AA gives us every day. Just a thought that this could be a regular part of the Sober Speak podcast, have an old speaker tape maybe once a quarter. Well, you know, I don't know if I can time it out once a quarter, but I definitely want to have some more old speaker tapes on, Jeff. And my sponsor actually called me this week as well, and he said, hey, John, I really did enjoy that Norm A. And so, uh, in fact, I talked to him about getting more uh, old speakers on the podcast and uh Oh, I just got to remember it and make time to do it all. Um, And then he says, you mentioned that you've had a tough week. Hope it all sorts itself out. Hang in there. Thank you for your service. Jeff, uh, sent for my iPhone. (laughs) So if you know a guy named Jeff that has a iPhone, I just broke his anonymity. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Anyway, Jeff, thank you for writing in. Raphael writes in. Raphael says, hello, John. My name is Raphael P. He actually spells it out, but I won't do that here on the pod. He says, I live in West Palm Beach, Florida, and my home group is the Big Book Spiritual Group. I am 37 years old and 18 months sober, and I'm an alcoholic. I really enjoy your service work through your podcast program. I learned early in the program of recovery that you have to build yourself a toolbox of defense from my disease, and your podcast is one of those tools that I use. I travel for work, and many times I miss out on my home group meeting. Uh, night or other meetings. I like to attend, like you say in your program, the quote, meeting between meetings. It is truly exactly that for me. Thank you, sir, for uh, what you do and carrying the message of your recovery. Regards, Raphael P. Thank you, Raphael P. Down there in West Palm. Is it West Palm Beach? Was that where it was? Yeah, West Palm Beach, Florida. I sure do appreciate you. And um, hopefully, uh, well, not hopefully, but maybe you're listening to this while you're driving around doing your work. Lastly here, Joshua writes in. He says, good morning, John. I am Joshua from Georgetown, Texas. And that is a Ah, I say a hop, skip, and a jump down the road for me, probably three or four hours. And he says, I stepped away from recovery during the pandemic, and I've been getting my butt kicked. I think a lot of people experience that, Joshua. 
I heard about your show from a sponsor about a year ago. I really enjoy it, enjoyed it, and I'm going to be listening again to assist in my recovery. Thanks for all you do, Joshua. All right, thank you, Joshua. That, everybody, your body, body, as my son used to say when he was little, little bitty. That brings us to another, uh, that close of another uh, episode. Um, I hope to be back next week. As I always say, I take this one week at a time. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. And uh, I think that's all I got. Love you guys. Bye-bye.